Hey, uh, Greg Akers on the podcast today. None of you guys have ever heard of this dude. Uh, is really obscure, kind of creepy. Hangs around bars, wears you know long trench coats, plays a guitar, but uh, he also knows how to write some code. And I understand by rumor that he used to work over at Ellis Lab. What's the story? What's the story? I did used to work over at Ellis Lab. Now I do my thing. I'm in the engine verse now. <laughs> uh, you work right, at a lot right of places. Right in Python. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I I've worked I've worked uh, in the evenings, kind of doing special projects and and stuff like that for Nevin Line over at Engine Hosting. Yeah. And Nevin Nevin's put up with me for a long time now, but we have fun. Uh, that's pretty good people over there too. Um, but you, uh, so what's what's Python and Django and uh, nobody can really talk to you without hearing about that stuff, right? I know it just it really excites me and makes me it makes me happy. It makes me really happy because it's <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Coder happiness turns into money. You know, a happy coder turns into successful projects and good software and Absolutely. money. Money for Absolutely. whoever's paying the coder. So let's let's keep yeah. it that way. Um, Absolutely. Ireland also said that very same thing uh, on the last podcast on on this, and he was on with me. And I said, "So, what's you know, you, as VP of technology, what what makes you uh, choose one thing over another?" And he said, "Well, as all you know, all sorts of factors, but one I really care about a lot is coder happiness." Mm-hmm. Um, he he said that's a principal importance. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool that a, a big happy cog type setup was was into the coders being happy because they see the result of it well i think i think it's two things like number one uh you know giving you know having trust in your developers to pick the right tool for the job um and you know if you can pick the right tool for the job then it makes it makes it more fun you know if you're trying to build and and i'm not talking disparagingly about it but if you're trying to build like a huge crm in wordpress you're gonna hate your life Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's just not built for that you know yeah, that's so, for sure. You know, the, yeah, the, I mean, the right tool for the job makes makes your life so much happier. I finally figured out Laravel last night. You know, I've been uh, working with it for a while now on a project, and, and nice. I, I'm switching everything over to Laravel 4. It took a while, but um, I had to get through some other stuff. I'm switched over, and I finally figured it out. I realized at the end of a day where um, I was not really paying attention to my children or my wife or my uh, own hygiene, I was realizing, you know what the problem with Laravel is, is that it's more, it's a lot more like uh, a really good old school adventure game, like, you know, like you used to play on Nintendo or something like Metroid or something, where, you know, you, you get a nice, easy, quick little introduction and it kind of gets its hook sunk in your cheek. And then, Uh and then the next day you're like, oh, that one thing was pretty cool. Let me see what that, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and more addictive and more addictive. And all of a sudden you're not even taking showers anymore. Yeah, it's, that's a really hard thing, especially when you work from home. You know, my wife will come home and be like, dude, you stink. (laughs) You've been working too much. Like, just, just stop. You know, Uh, I have have a very understanding wife. (laughs) Anyway, that's been my experience of it so far, and, and today's you know t- today's a case in point. Like this will probably be a five minute podcast because I got to hang up and go s- do some more coding. You know, um, absolutely no, absolutely. Laravel four is fantastic. It makes and you know I, I wrote I wrote Taylor early on uh, after he released it and just said you know holy cow you've made 
PHP fun again. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's really not, fun. Not a head bashing experience. <laughs> it's truly like a lot of fun to write PHP using Laravel. But Python feels that way to you, right? Absolutely. Really no, fun. I mean, I've, I've been in it full time for a hair over two years and I dabbled a lot with, uh, you know, either a little bit of freelance or just fun little projects. Um, and you know, you're our, a friend of your podcast, Kenny Myers is the one, like when I first met him, he, he just kind of started shoving me into, you got to learn Python, you got to learn Python. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of Nevin being so nice, he let me learn some Python to write a bunch of internal tools for engine hosting. So, um, you know, that kind of got my, got me my start and then, you know, going, reading every Python book and Django book I could find and, doing any sort of ridiculous task that could be done in bash trying to do it in python you know that's I, I just had so much fun at it that's one of the critical pieces of picking up new technology is having a um a, whatchamacallit um a, a sponsor like um you know like a nevin type a client mm -hmm. who's willing to um to put some investment into you and your learning cycle Mm -hmm. um, it's a certain kind of generosity. You, you actually find it quite often, though. We find clients who we come to them and we say, you know, we've heard a rumor that uh, this other technology could do a much, be much better job solving the problem you just presented to us. We don't know mm -hmm. how to do it. We're good just generally coding and designing and project planning and managing people and stuff. Do you think you could, you know, we'll give you a discount. You want to take a risk and go for it? You find people who are willing to do that actually pretty often. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's, there's also, I, I've, I've seen other, you know, other shops, they, they, it, the, the world is seeming better to me because it, like a lot of shops seem to be friends with each other and they're not, you know, it's not some cutthroat, I want you to go out of business and don't steal yeah. my leads kind of thing. And, you know, it's like people are actually, you know, they try to help, help each other, you know, get ahead. Like if you're going to learn Python, sure, you know, work with, person x from my shop and i i think that's i think that's really really cool there's there's so much work out there kenny made the point um a couple of podcasts ago on here he you know we were talking about a few things and he he got to the point where he said um it, it's just absurd that tech companies uh get petty with each other um yeah, because yeah. the stakes are, are so low like yes all these people perfectly put yeah like i mean someone like you you don't have to put up with any politics or any jive you can go get a job somewhere else because you got a skill that is very much needed i mean the, mm -hmm. this whole terrain of the web is still needing to be built out and developed and there's only a few construction workers out there who can do it yeah i mean generally speaking i i'd, I'd say i agree you know and one of, one of the big things I learned at Ellis Lab was when the new chief creative officer came in. We were we were freaking out about something, and he said, "Guys, this is the internet. There's no such thing as an emergency." And that that really really resonated with me. And it's not that you don't care your lackadaisical, and if things go wrong, you you do your damnedest to fix it. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not very important. Yeah, it's you know, there's a lot of manufactured panic. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, and it, that's that's a good way to to make choices about your clients. I mean, um, you know, engine hosting had some outages recently, and and more mm -hmm. so than has ever really happened uh, in my experience yeah. with them. Um, 
And, you know, it's it's because I I understand that Nevin's been adopting some new technology and some of it's kind of hinky. And um, some of my clients flipped out. Some were like, eh, sometimes the Internet breaks. I'm going to go fishing, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'll go play catch with my dog or stare at my fish tank behind me, you know, <laughs> go, or stand up from my desk, you know? Yeah. I mean, some people, you know, certainly my site is de- dependent for its revenue on the thing being up and running. Um, right. but I'm not selling a software license every five minutes. Right. Uh, and if somebody can't get their copy of uh, Freeform pro, um, they can go back tomorrow. It's not the end of the freaking world, you know? There, you know, there are some sites for whom that's actually really important. The uptime is critical, but yeah. they know it is, and they know it is in advance, and they have all sorts of redundancies built in. Right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. What do you do? Um, I, I had a client say um, they they love the work and quality of uh, product they get from engine hosting, but they know that hosts go down. They asked mm-hmm. uh, about some sort of uh, – uh, redundancy, like some kind of co-location. I mean, this has been part of the lingo for a long time, but if someone mm-hmm. wanted to have all of their infrastructure on engine hosting, for example, or rack space, but they wanted mm-hmm. a backup somewhere, some kind of failover, if that data center goes down, then they can just make a DNS switch or an IP address switch and point everything over to like a kind of a backup environment. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, I mean, it sounds kind of like the cloud, but what sort of terrain is that? Um, you know, really it's for that, it'd be something right now that you would need to manage yourself. But I mean, really with as simple as, you know, you know, provided your database isn't huge, uh, periodic MySQL dumps and are syncing over your files to some sort of emergency server that you have, you know, that that's, you know, hopefully something, you know, just kind of waiting in the wings for you to turn on and then go, um, but you know, it's something that ideally, I know, I know Nevin and Lori and everybody else. They they don't want you to have to use it, and uh, yeah. Well, you, we have a conversation anyway. When when stuff goes bad, clients start talking. I mean, it's a reality check. They're like, "Oh wait, backups? Is all this stuff backed up?" You'd see a database server just died. Is all that backed up? I'm like, "Of course, it's backed up." Right. Um, but then they start thinking of backups and backups and all kinds of the layers of redundancy. They don't know the cost yet. It'd be expensive. But, right. I mean, it does make sense to say, well, what happens if we just flipped a switch and every all the traffic went over to this other place for a few hours while this other system came back up? Right. right. But those are hosting questions. I was going to get you on technical questions. Um, okay. And one thing I was going to tease out of you uh, is something I'm really interested in right now. Uh, in right now because of a project I'm doing, um, uh, I'm getting much deeper into the to the MVC concept, particularly at the at the, at the JavaScript level. Um, uh-huh. So I've got a JavaScript MVC and I've got Laravel as my sort of backend MVC, right? And mm-hmm. and they um, expect one another to behave as kind of service providers, right? Um, in in the broader context of programming and in the sort of narrow narrower concept of Python. Um, what what's going on in that territory? Uh, I mean, is that is that just a trendy thing to talk about MVC, or is it a real deal that's forever? I think it's a real deal that's forever. You know, um, I I think it really came. I'm probably I'm totally wrong, probably, but you know, at least in in my limited world, it it came into you know being popular with Rails, I guess, and Code Igniter 
tried to follow some of those concepts. Coding Editor doesn't really have what I would call models, I guess. Um, you know, and then when you when you get into a Zen framework or a Symphony, you know, those are real models, I guess. In the in the what what makes something a know, model? Data, I, well, data access. So I get. I mean, I guess. I guess they are. You don't need them though. Whereas you know, in a Django, you you can write raw queries, but it's not going to be fun. And so you know, you use your models for those raw, you know, to communicate with the database layer. Okay. So if you, um, I, I mean, is the concept of a model abstract enough to say, all right, we have some models that. Um, that model the data that sits inside, say, uh, Salesforce. And we have mm-hmm. some models that, that model and uh, serve as the gateway between our own database. I mean, is that mm-hmm. appropriate to speak in those terms? Or is it strictly your database, uh, a model that uh, talks to it, and then you and your code? I think if it is my database, yeah, just straight to my database, if it's, uh, you know, I... I don't know what the technical term would be, maybe you know, some sort of service provider to a Salesforce, or you could just, you know, go use something like Zapier.com to have the Salesforce stuff ping ping back your API and, and shove things in when certain things happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So then um the controller side, see this is where I start to get confused. Uh and mm-hmm. and you know, having never gone to school to learn how to code. It really hey, shows. I'm a, I'm, I have a saxophone degree, man. <laughs> I, have, I have a degree in jazz saxophone, so I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> well, I mean, there's somebody's got to make sense t- for me of where my logic belongs. Does it belong inside a controller? Does it belong inside the model? Uh, say I'm going to have a user register on the site. Where does the code uh-huh. go? Well, I think I think it depends. Like inserting, inserting, and checking to make sure that they already haven't signed up. You know, in like within Django, that would live between the model and your. You, in Django, you have form class, which classes, which I think are there in Laravel now. Are they? I don't know yet. Or am I wrong? I, can, I could I be totally be wrong. deep enough yet. Um, you know, but if, within within Django, you check to see if your form is is quote valid. And as it's checking to see if it's valid, it's going to ask the database, you know, is this username already exist or is this email address already in there? Um, is, you know, is your password long enough, um, you know, meet those kind of requirements? And then if it does, then the model goes ahead and inserts it into the database. So the validation so is the, hap- the model does the hap- validation? Uh, it's between the, well, the model, it's between the model and the form. So, you know, the, the model, the model and the form are checking, you know, to make sure it's a valid email address, you know, funky regexes for that. Um, you know, making sure it's a unique username or unique email or, or whatever you choose to do. Yeah. Um, and I think like within Laravel, a lot of that live, you can have that living within your model. Oh. And then, and then your controller, or in Django, your view, which there, there's there's a monkey wrench for you. Uh, so yeah. it, you know those those are just calling off to those passing whatever's coming in from your post request to those that you know do that logic. Does that make sense? 
Well, it makes sense, but it's different than how I coded my application in Laravel, and I thought that what I was doing was just kind of following the standard model of the Laravel documentation. So in the case of registering a user, and this is good to talk mm -hmm. in detail, it really helps. In the case of registering a user, um, I, cre I, I get an instance of the validation class in Laravel, and I, right. tell it, I tell it what I want it to do. I say, I want you to treat a password like this. Mm -hmm. And I want to treat. I want you to treat the username like this, and treat the mm -hmm. first and last names like this. Email address has to meet this requirement, mm -hmm. and that's in my controller right now. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the validation class allows you to say, "Oh, by the way, make sure that this field, or the the username, uh, make sure that it's unique against this table and this column." Right. And that's sitting in the validation class inside my controller. That makes and, sense. So that fires, but that's. In your language, all that belongs inside the model. Uh, no, because in Django, a lot of that belongs. It's it, it's you know, I guess, kind of a further level of abstraction sitting in a form class, which is essentially, I guess, what you'd be sort of setting up with your validation class. Validation. So it okay. seems it seems reasonable to me. Okay. Um, you know, in the case of my app, uh, when I'm my models do the job of getting and setting. Yeah with the database. Uh -huh. And they also do a couple of other little things that are like data-e type things. Um, so if it's not strictly speaking a, a database call, um, I still make my models do a little bit of work just because of the convenience of locating it in there and having yeah. access, in Laravel, having access to be able to invoke your model stuff all over the place. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> I have a few other like utilities in there. Like um, there's one thing inside my user model that says, uh, you know, is admin. Are you an administrator? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. testing a few different things across different parts of the site. Yeah. Um, it invokes the authentication uh, class in Laravel. It also talks to the database and also checks your particular user account. That's mm -hmm. all sitting in the model. So, it, you know, that I, seems I, totally reasonable to me. But I, just, you know, I do some reading, and people say the model is where your your data uh, interaction and your logic sit in your controller. That I just get so confused. Like, um, do you feel like it's well organized? Do I think my what app is well organized? What you've written, do you feel like it's well, well organized? I think that an important part of organization is consistency. So yeah, even if I'm doing something stupid, I'm doing it consistently. So you could argue it's organized. I, I'd I, say that's okay. I mean, has Greg Farrell made fun of you? He hasn't looked at for, it. Oh, he hasn't? I'm not showing him uh, this thing because that's all he oh, does yeah. is make fun of me. I'm not showing him anything. Yeah, I wouldn't either. He's He can be, yeah, don't do it. <laughs> He'll tear no, down the I mean, whole thing and make me real build it, and I've already done that month after think, month for a year. I think consistency is important, you know, and if you're consistently doing it wrong, you know, I mean, at least trying to figure out and, like, what's, like, how am I doing this wrong and what, what makes it more writer, I guess. I, I don't know. I just constantly trying to evolve. I think that's the most important part. When you, uh, when you have your views, and this is more of an abstraction kind of question, not necessarily specific to, uh, to Django uh, or Laravel, but when, when you're working with your views, um, how much um, PHP-type logic are you going to permit inside the view versus how, much, uh, how many pre-processed and ready-to-go variables and arrays are you just going to send into that view? Um, re well, like coming from Django... Typically, you're sending in, 
you're sending in, you know, you can uh, you can send in a bunch of things, but you know, on on a really basic level, if you're talking like a blog, you're you're going to send in, you know, a query query set, you know, a set of records or a single or a single instance of a model, right? And so, you know, at, at the very base level, that's what you're sending in, but you can also, you know, so I'll do I'll do stuff based on based on, uh, you know, if the user's logged in, like what permissions their account has. Um, trying to think of what else. Yeah, something like that. Like if code. you're detecting permissions on someone who's logged in and who's going to view a page, mm -hmm. do you put those conditionals inside the view or do you process those conditionals in the controller and then give the view some much I, more simple conditional to run? I think it depends on, I think it depends upon the situation. Uh, you know, if you want to show an edit link on a particular page for an admin, that, you know, I put that in, you know, the, the, your uh, template or view or whatever you're going to call it, you know, uh -huh. template or view file. And as opposed to, you know, but you could have stuff if they're logged in, you know, maybe you need to do massive changes to the query. Um, and so those things I put in... Uh, those things I put in the controller. But in, in Django, they do not actually let you run raw Python from within your templates. Okay. So, which is kind of nice. So you're forced, you know, uh, and we'll go, we'll go there because it's what we both have in common. But like EE land, it would be like turning off PHP and templates, which yeah. would, you know, I, I would jump for joy if that happened. Uh, and forcing you to write plugins. In, in, in a lot of ways, that's what, what uh, Django's forcing you to do. So in EE land, for the people listening, uh, if, if trying to get their head wrapped around MVC, um, it, a strict MVC in, in the context of Expression Engine would mean um, no, uh, no uh, logic really allowed, no PHP for sure allowed in templates. Mm -hmm. um, the thinnest possible layer of uh, conditionals and logic and, and so forth in the template push that all into plugins or modules or maybe field types. Um, mm -hmm. And then the, you know, the model concept really starts to unravel in that comparison, but in, in the case of expression engine, but um, what I think one thing that, that Farrell was trying to teach me when I was asking about, you know, trying to learn the MVC approach was he was like, well, it'd be nice if our views were really thin, which is to say, it'd be nice if we could take our, our, um, our folder of views and if we wanted to port one of our add-ons to another CMS, take that view folder, dump it into the other CMS, make the fewest number of changes to that set of views as possible, and make all the logic happen in the other parts of the system. Yeah, um, absolutely. So coding with that goal uh, is sensible until it starts to be a pain in the butt. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, what if I want to do uh, views that are um, localized, so uh, language-sensitive? Um, right. Well, I mean, what a pain in the rear if I have to yeah. run all of my language processing through the controller and then pass um, completely processed variables over to the view. It's so much easier right. to I just agree. put those little those little language calls inside the view. Um, yeah, I agree. And, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, don't, I just get so bitchy about this kind of thing. But um, well, I want to ask with with you diving into Laravel, with you diving into Laravel, um, you know, and it happened with me diving into uh, Django. Are you are you learning to approach uh, test driven development, which is like, for the most part, completely absent from 
you know, the community we came from. Yeah, it's, uh, it's totally absent. And, um, I know how powerful it can be. Uh, we released a, a version of uh, a new version of super search recently, which actually took me a year to build and mm-hmm. didn't include any fantastic new features, mainly because I just re-architected the thing and tried to have approximate a more test driven, um, approach to that. Cause it got uh-huh. just so complicated, such a complicated yeah. add on. Um, the answer is no, I don't know how to write tests. I don't know how to code in that manner. Um, but this, this harkens back to something that I've regretted for many years, which is the first plugins I wrote for Expression Engine were simple and easy. I should have taken that opportunity to learn how to plan and to learn how to have a process. When it was easy, I, because it was easy, I didn't bother. Like It, was, it could yeah, all totally. fit in my brain, so I didn't bother. Yeah. And then once stuff started getting complicated, at the same time it was complicated, I was under the gun timeline and by a client, mm-hmm. I really had to hustle and just do it the usual way. So um, I never learned how to do it right. So test-driven development is something, I think it's a cycle I intend to go through on this thing I'm building, just for yeah. the sake of learning it and, and overcoming that, that deficiency in my own coding practice. There, the, interestingly enough, um, at, at Engine, you know, I mean, and I, I know you can probably talk about the same thing in a lot of a lot of agencies, I think, are in the same boat. Well, the client doesn't want to pay for us to write tests, you know, right? You know, because it, quote, unquote, takes longer. Um, my, my assertion, though, is that the, either you as the agency are going to end up paying for it or the client's going to pay for it. Somebody's going to pay for it if you're not. Somebody's going to pay for it, absolutely. You know, it, whether, whether you have massive overages due to, you know, your QA going out of control or, or, or whatever. So, uh, uh a coworker at Engine, he he and I, we we did a little experiment, and we were just shocked at at the at what happened. So we were we were building an API, an OAuth API for an iPhone app, and the project's not quite done yet. They're still working on the iOS side, but so we took the approach of we wrote all documentation first. Like we didn't even get into we, we didn't even, st- we hadn't written a, a line of Python. And so we started by going out and, and you know, sitting together, working through what this API is going to look like, the OAuth flow, all, all, all of that stuff. And we, you know, we would, you know, working on GitHub do pull requests to the, to the iOS developers and say, you know, does this, does this look good, you know, with, with what the designer is giving you, you know, or, or does this meet the requirements? And, would work with them on that, and then, you know, uh, they would pull the code in. We'd consider it, you know, at that point kind of done. And then we would, then we went and we wrote, uh, I'm going to call them integration tests, and that'll, for the, for the hardcore people that, you know, they get really angry about that. But it, it works most of the time. So, uh, so we'd go and write, integ- you know, an integration test. Like, I am, this logged in user, I should not be able to see you know, I should not be able to pull down another user's list of whatever, you know, or, or when I hit, when I hit this endpoint as this logged in user, I expect to see the following things that I know are already, uh, you know, on my account. And so we did all of that and we'd write these failing tests and we'd do pull requests to each other. Um, you know, Hey, I wrote these tests. Hey, I wrote these tests. And then we'd flip around, we'd flip around and we would write passing code for the other guy's tests. So it's not 
it's not quite like you're, you know, sitting together pair programming. You know, there's a lot of consultancies that that they say you're paying for two developers at, you know, $175 an hour, and that's the way we do it if you want to work with us. So we weren't, you know, we weren't approaching it that way. You know, we're kind of moving in parallel. But after working these you know, going through this, I we came we came in right about hours wise where we thought we would. Oh wow! And, but the the impressive thing that that just shocked me is the iOS integration has been very 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 easy for these iOS developers. So by you know we spent maybe a little bit more time up front you know writing I mean and we wrote documentation like I mean we wrote it in a way like I'd want to see it. Uh, if I'm learning how to use somebody's API, you know, we, we were treating it like we're writing it for the, the masses. Um, and so we've, we've been, you know, there's, there's another project that we're, we're kicking off now. And that's completely how we're, we're, we're approaching it, you know, long form, you know, very verbose uh, documentation um, before we start writing a bunch of code. And it, it just makes me feel so good and happy and comfortable. Um, this is just a, such a good topic to discuss. I'm sure we'll use up the rest of our time on this because, um, th- I mean, this is exactly what I was saying. Like in the beginning, why didn't I learn how to plan? Yeah. Here's the thing I really want to ask you, though, is um, I think most of the developers and coders out there listening to this, and the audience is not that big. There's my three or four people who are going to listen to this podcast. Nice. Um, but those out there listening to it, um, they can definitely relate to me saying to you, dude, um, I just want to get straight to the sex, right? Can I just get Absolutely. right to the action? Let me start coding now, 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 mm-hmm. now. Let me do some print R's. Let me do some exits. Let me, I, well, let me see my code working in a, you know, on a device or app or browser, whatever. Um, how do you like um, delay the gratification, right? Is it still as fun to be a coder in that kind of a process where probably 10% of your time is actually writing lines of code and all the rest of the time is planning and shaping and architecting? I've I've been in, I've been through so much pain, uh, due to you know you change one line here, you test the page. Yep, works right in the browser. You know, cool. You know, you do a release and you're like, oh no, I totally broke this this page like way over here that has yeah nothing to do with it. And Absolutely. That's, I mean, I I was responsible for things like that in in Expression Engine, and that is the worst feeling in the world. In the world. And, yeah. And, you know, yeah. you especially if the app has any sort of traction, you're looking on Twitter and you just you want to crawl in a hole and die. And, you know, you're you're only as good or your your tests are only as good as you write them. So if you write bad tests, you know, things can still break. So, I mean, nothing's like a bulletproof solution, but it just I feel so much better. Um, we have, you know, uh a project I'm, I'm just kind of coming off of uh, is a large financial application um, for a private private airline. You know, dealing with dealing with years of financial data and you know tracking all this stuff. And like, there, there's no way we could have done that without without testing it. You know, testing that we're you know calculating balances correctly. Testing that you know you're you're yeah. I mean, all that all that stuff and. Uh, so yeah I, I, it just it makes I mean that's not to say there hasn't been bugs because we've totally had bugs during kind of our beta period with the client but you just 
it could have been so much worse. You know? So it really is a, a discussion about maturity, though, and the concept of maturing and growing up. Uh, yeah. as, certainly as a coder and as a business person, as a developer, there's also a personal uh, vector to this kind of uh, maturing in the kind of, kind of coding that you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as I've gotten older, I'm you know, going to be 41 pretty soon. The sorts of pleasures that I really enjoy in life are not the really quick, uh, quick to gratify gratification kind of pleasures, like partying and going to concerts and stuff. The mm-hmm. things that are much more pleasurable to me are working on a thing for a year and then launching it and it and Absolutely. it's going well. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, and that's that's just a, a, a mark of just getting older and and maturing. And the kind of coding that you're describing to me is not nearly as um, like rock and roll gratifying. Um, let's write a bunch of lines of code, make this thing work and to, you know, just make sure it doesn't crash and then release it. Um, it's, it's so much more boring and old man than that, but, <laughs> but the sort of gratification you get is, um, is a much deeper one. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the kind that you get when you can take a, a chunk of wood and turn it into a chair, um, mm-hmm. versus, you know, go make a, a smoothie really fast. Um, right. so, I mean, is it something that, could you have done this, a younger version of you? Could you have been into this, or would it would it have bored you? I don't know that it would have bored me. It was, you know, some, I just didn't know how to do it. Like I said, coming from from being a saxophone player, like I just, I, I knew it was something that we should be doing, but I didn't know how to do it correctly. And I've been, I've been extremely lucky that I'm constantly working on teams where, you know, I... I get to feel really stupid every day. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's, there's, that's the best education you can get. And, you know, we collaborated, we have, and still are collaborating with, with uh, an, another fantastic Django consultancy called Lincoln Loop. And they have a bunch of core Django developers on their team, you know, and I got to, I got to work with these guys. And, um, you know, that's, that's a, a quick, quick way to learn, you know. Just working with really, really, really brilliant people—it's—it's it's awesome. And they have this approach. Then I mean, they absolutely. They, uh, they, I mean, what percentage of actual writing lines of code and screwing around with it do you think you do compared to all the planning and prep and practice? <sighs> right now, I'm in kind of a planning phase on a couple of projects, so I, I've been in more meetings than I want. But that's—you know—I know it'll pay dividends down the road, but. I mean, typically, uh, you know, going off the last year and a half, I am, you know, I, I, try, I try to work about 30 hours a week, 25 hours a week, somewhere in there. Um, I, all but maybe two hours a week, I'm, I'm actually writing lines of code. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and I consider writing your tests, writing your lines of code. Okay. Because I'll flip around, like, sometimes I'll write my code first, then write a test to make sure I'm not screwing anything up. But... I, ideally, I like to, you know, I'm I'm trying my best to do it the opposite way now. Writing my write test the test, first. write the test first. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but you know, the doing that really, it it helps you have a really good picture on exactly what you're building, and yeah. it allows yeah. you to, you know, helps you to poke holes in what the client wants or what your UX designer wants or what your designer wants. Just to say, you know, like we're going to get ourselves into a huge performance issue with that because of the following reasons I can do X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and just uh, being able to see those things up front so you're not, 
you know, you're hopefully getting to a point that you don't, you know, turn on, you know, open up and look at your queries and go, oh crap, I have 1500 queries on this page. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, I think a lot of these things, you know, especially, uh, you know, for your EE listeners can transfer, you know, as, as far as like doing, doing that planning and, you know, giving that pushback to your designers and UX designers. You know, when you have a bunch of tests written and you're in coding mode, how often uh-huh. how often do you fire your tests to to just verify what you've done? When I'm in coding mode, yeah, like I'll I'll run I'll run the test. I mean, like uh, like oh, you know, just kind of hey, let's see where this is. Run run that single one. Like cool, it passes. You know, let's try to let's see if I can make it harder and do something else to to see if I can trip what I've written up. You know, and just kind of iterate, iterate like that. But it, it, you know, it makes it fun because you're sort of doing constant refactoring, which I love refactoring. It's that's like my favorite part about this job is refactoring code. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of this iterations and constant refactoring, I think, is a blast. I worked with a guy in the very beginning when I very first got started. Um, he was uh, you could really call him kind of a front end developer in the sense that he did he did most of the JavaScript work on this project. And he was always putting the brakes on. You know, we were like, okay, we made it. Let's, let's launch this piece. He's like, no, 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 no. Let's take a week and refactor. And we're all like, mm-hmm. okay, it's time to refactor. You know, mm-hmm. and this was his little mantra over and over again. He's like, eh, no, let's slow down and refactor. It was his favorite thing too. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, none of us got it. We we're like, oh, come on, man. Can we just be done? We got to move on to another project. We're on a deadline. No, let's just refactor. He was just being a craftsman. He just wanted mm-hmm. to walk away from the thing with that good feeling of there's pretty much nothing else I would change. Yeah, um, you know. I mean, we all make we all make really stupid decisions, um, and, and you know, I, we've all been in, we've all done it. And if anybody says they haven't, I think they're lying. But you've gone and like copied a big piece of code, and you know, you put it to do like, hey, this needs to be abstracted out from this, and. You know, and if you just go ahead and release, you're going to have that big to do like abstract this so these two pieces can use the same thing, and you're just creating technical debt for yourself or somebody else afterwards. Which which is why, you know, trying you're you're always going to have that technical debt, but trying trying your your damnedest to to prevent it, I think is is really really important. Do you ever notice? Uh, does it ever happen to you that when you're you're working on you're building up a, a code base for something? And there's something that you're using routinely. Do you ever find that there's something about it that just bothers you, like that you didn't name it right, or it's not sitting in the right place, or you, the way that you're having to interact with uh, um, a method or an object or something just doesn't feel right. You can't put your finger on it. You got to mm-hmm. move on to do something else. Mm-hmm. Do you find that happens to you? Oh yeah, I'm. I am probably the world's worst when it comes to naming classes and naming methods. Um, I get made fun of about that probably, I mean, pr- at least tw- three or four times a month, I- at least, or like writing doc block comments or, you know, the, uh, I'm, I'm awful at that. And so, yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. What do you do? I mean, when do you just slam the brakes on and say, some, you know, intuitively there's something that's just not feeling right about how I did this a month ago. And even though I have to deliver this other big chunk I just mm-hmm. have to stop. This has to be refactored right now until I, until I don't notice it anymore. Yeah, uh, typically, like right in, over the last you know couple of years, I haven't 
I haven't really been extremely siloed, you know, like the only guy or me working with one front end person. And so, you know, it's been, it's been a, a decent sized team of four or five, four or five developers. And, you know, the, we can break a couple of people off, you know, have a discussion as a team, like, man, this is, this is totally not happening. And I can't believe I did this, uh, or I can't believe we collectively did this even. Um, let's, let's, do you think, when can we get to a point that we can break a couple of people off to take two days and, and redo this and the rest of the people keep marching forward, then we can swing back and uh, get on helping with what you're doing, you know? Really, like, when it comes up, and, you know, as long as budget budget allows, which is, that that's the hard part when budget allows. The thing I'm describing used to be, um, until I learned more about it, uh, it used to be a real problem for me in, in the development mm-hmm. of stuff. I would let stuff that just was kind of nagging me intuitively, I would just let it pass and be like, ah, I don't really know why that's bothering me. I'm just going to ignore it. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. And debt, that's just, that would accrue. All that stuff would accrue and pile up. And eventually I didn't want to log in and work on the project anymore. And I was like, yep, why don't I, I want to do it? Why do I feel burned out on this? I used to love this mm-hmm. thing. Well, I burned out on it because I, I let too much um, housekeeping go undone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, had I kept everything nice and tight every single day before I did any commits, um, then I would have been happy with the thing year over year. I finally mm-hmm. learned that. It took a long time. Well, but it's I, like the condition of my desk right now is such a mess. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to clean this, you know. But at the same point, you know, if I just kept up on it and not let it go for however long it has. Then you wouldn't mind sitting at your desk. Yeah. And now I'd rather be, you know, hacking from my couch (laughs) because my desk is a mess. Yeah, that's such a good metaphor because that's what I'm talking about. Like at a a certain point, I just don't want to work on, you know, name any soul space module because uh, there's there's debt accrued to it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in some cases, like the revenue we get from it just doesn't justify going back and rewriting it. Yeah, the only, absolutely. The only those, the, but those are the hard like business decisions. I think you have to, you know, if it's purely a hundred percent developer happiness, you know, you 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 do have to balance the 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 business sense of something plus developer happiness. You know, Freeform Pro is a really good example. I mean, that was that was released a little bit more than a year ago, and mm-hmm. um, and it was it was Greg's. Um, Really, it was Greg's full start-to-finish Soul Space product. Right. Um, and we just kind of let him off the chain. And like, all right, this is, this is now, you, you, you've earned a turn, right? It's your mm-hmm. turn to go and just really stretch your legs out. And um, through the process, you know, as we did evaluations and stuff, kind of checked in, there were points where he was getting a lot of criticism because he was refactoring too much and he was mm-hmm. kind of rebuilding too much. He was going through that process of there's something I don't feel good about and I've got to, I've got to fix it until it feels right. It took a long time and it was expensive. But the outcome, maybe it's a roll of a dice sometimes, but the outcome is that the product is popular in the marketplace. I got a happy developer. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is the thing made its money back much more quickly than I thought it would. So that was like a, you know, um, kind of won the lottery on that one. But I think that um, ultimately you, you, you can't keep up this kind of work, this kind of detail-oriented, um, microscopic level work of writing code unless you 
acknowledge that that's just part of the process and you've got a budget Absolutely. for it. And you can't take Absolutely. on a job if a client can't afford to let you go through that cycle. It's just how well-crafted code works. Well, and really, you know, you've, do you want that client, you know, I mean, we all, we all started somewhere. I mean, heck, I started like cutting PSDs for 150 bucks, you know, I mean, just doing anything I could to get experience and make money. But as you, as you grow and you get to a certain point, do you, do you want the client that says, uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to pay for you to test your code. It should be perfect the first time. Yeah. Right. Nobody's perfect the first time. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. Perfect period. We've got a client right now who wants us to build them a, they keep calling it a shopping cart. I mean, this is, this is the starting point is that they want a shopping cart that is actually, strictly speaking, it's a really deep API integration for e-commerce purposes with um, a CRM system that just happens to offer some e-commerce stuff. Right. They're married to this CRM, They're completely wedded to it. Some salesmen got them locked into it, and it's got to be on this thing. They keep emailing me saying, hey, when can we talk about our shopping cart? Um, and this is an organization that is just now tiptoeing into the e-commerce universe. And there's such an old school sort of a, um, you know, manufacturer distributor model kind of company. Um, they just, I told them in a meeting one day, I just got, I lost my patience and I said, you are just not ready. I mean, the future for you is on the web. The future for you is e-commerce. Your organization needs to completely change and be e-commerce oriented. Uh, or you're going to shrivel up and die. I'm sorry. But you are also not ready to be there. You're not right. ready to, to have coders build stuff for you and, and do it the way it has to be done. You're not ready for it to be buggy and you're not ready to be scared shitless because you don't know where that extra $1,500 went because there's a bug in the code. Mm-hmm. You're just not ready to go through all of that. Mm-hmm. So there's some clients who are just not, not prepared. They're just not fit to do it. And someone Absolutely. else has to train them. Some yeah. other masochist in the universe has to train that person. It's not me. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's easier to you know fall asleep like a baby at night and not be worried. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, how much of your how much of your time do you feel like you spend um, filtering clients? It sounds like you you're spending much more of your time uh, being a member of teams where mm-hmm. someone else has chosen the and filtered the client. Yeah, I'm I am almost 100% protected. Okay. I'm almost 100% protected which makes me a happy developer. And you know, I mean, that's not to say I don't want to talk to people, but you know, uh getting like I I I don't like getting emails just cuz not for the reason that I don't want to get them, but for the reason that I'm afraid I'm going to lose them, which I'm terrible about losing emails. Um so, you know, it's it's nice having having, you know, somebody to act as the intermediary for for us as the team and help us. I mean, because that's what they're good at, and that's not what I'm good at. So you just have faith that they're going to choose a good client, and that client, uh, some bad decisions are not going to end up filtering down into your lap. Well, I with with EngineWorks, we opt in to projects we work on. It's as as a company, like uh, we we look to see if when a prospect comes in, this is Carl Carl's talking everywhere about his jellyfish model, but we you know we'll, he'll say this person came in, we might get on the phone with them on a you know let let's meet each other kind of kind of thing, and if we don't if we don't think it's a fit, 
you know, we tell them, we don't, we don't think this is a fit, sorry. You know, these other companies might, might be a great fit for you. Um, but if, you know, we get to opt into projects like based on time and interest, you know, there's some upcoming projects that I'm really interested in that, you know, I'm getting to opt into. Um, and, and so our, the, the teams are ever evolving and ever changing, which is why he calls it his jellyfish model. <laughs> well, why don't we conclude with that, Greg? That sounds good, man. Thank you for having me. No, 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 no. Thank you for being on the show. Um, I mean, I, I can't believe you made some time to talk to me. Uh, as as oh, many dude, IQ points as you have. It's Friday. I try not to work past like noon on Fridays because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm just done, absolutely done for the week. So well, I'm going to work most of the day, and you can blame Ty- Taylor for that. The freaking Laravel is all up on my business right now he he yeah he's a jerk for that because he does he, <laughs> totally. he does make php fun so all right thanks mitchell i appreciate thanks, it thanks greg all right all bye. right man take it easy bye.